Welcome to our message for Mother's Day, the church expectant, based on Acts 1, 1 to 11. First section, a hardship surpassed. Before we delve into our passage today, I'd like to take a few moments to acknowledge those for whom Mother's Day can be especially difficult. This is something we don't always talk about. It's easy to gloss over those who don't fit a standard mothering model and miss including them on this annual honoring directed toward mothers. What promises and potential does God's word hold for those who don't fit the standard pattern? There are some women who never had children, whether because they stayed single or because they couldn't due to fertility complications. God knows your situation, your longings, your contentment or wistfulness. Christian discipleship involves much more than the fulfillment that comes from raising a family. Listen for the scope of activity for a Christian woman as Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.9. He says, No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Yes, it mentions bringing up children, but lots besides. Good deeds includes hospitality and helping those in trouble. There's broad scope. Discipleship can bear rich fruit in good deeds and influencing others for the kingdom. There are women who become pregnant but suffered the grief of miscarriage. This is more common than we realize because it's not usually something you broadcast. In Acts 1.3 we read, After his suffering, he showed himself to those men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. After his suffering... Jesus knows your grief, your pain, what you've suffered through losing your little one to miscarriage. Your unborn child was known to God. Psalm 139, 13 and 15 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God understands and cares for those mums whose children did not have much time ordained for them. He knew your child in your womb, whether that child made it to birth or not. There are some who may have had an abortion. That can be associated with a remorse and post-abortive trauma of its own. The Lord understands your circumstances, why you did what you did, why you perhaps felt stuck or unsupported or fearful. The cross of Jesus is big enough to handle any sin. Last week we heard Peter invite us in Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Be refreshed. Last are those for whom Mother's Day is difficult for a different reason. Your own dear mother has died and is no longer around to hug and wish a happy Mother's Day too. One of the first miracles recorded in Mark's Gospel is Jesus going to Simon's mother-in-law, who's sick in bed with a fever, and healing her. God cares about our mothers. For those who've died, there's Revelation 14, 13. It says, <clears throat> Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Our mothers who are resting from their labor are not forgotten to God, but those who die in the Lord he describes as blessed. Next section, 
pregnant with promise. Today we're turning back a page or two from last Sunday's proclamation by Peter after the healing at the temple of a man crippled from birth over 40 years of age. A couple of Sundays from today is Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Easter, when the Bible records the Holy Spirit came upon the church, essentially the church's official birthday. Just before that event, we find Jesus' followers gathering to regroup after the ascension to wait and pray. Jesus' mother and siblings are present. Acts 1.14 says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. It seems to have been the church expectant, pregnant with possibility. What were they waiting for? What had they been promised that prompted them to pause and pray? We find out in the first 11 verses of Acts 1. Before Jesus ascends to heaven after rising from the dead, he gives his apostles instructions on three areas, the kingdom's priority, the kingdom's power, and the kingdom's promise. We'll look at each of these in turn. First, the kingdom's priority. Jesus had priorities for his followers. Our parents likely had priorities for us, you know, things like getting to bed on time, brushing our teeth, doing our chores, not being late for the bus, etc. What would you say were your parents' priorities? Have those become your own priorities over time? Speaking of priorities, one day a small boy made it a priority to buy his mother some clothing for her Mother's Day gift. He found himself in the dress material section of a big department store and shyly presented his problem to the sales clerk. He said, I want to buy my mom a present of a skirt, but I don't know what size she wears. The clerk commented, well, it would help to know if your mom is short or tall, plump or skinny. The little boy beamed, she's just perfect. So the clerk wrapped up a size 34 for him. Two days later, Mum came to the store herself and changed it to a size 52. The little boy had the wrong size, but the right opinion. She's just perfect. Do you remember Jesus' priority as declared at the outset of his ministry? What did he start out preaching? Mark 1.14 After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Throughout Jesus' ministry, what were a lot of his parables and stories designed to point to? Well, the kingdom of God is like, you would say, a man scattering seed, Mark 4.26. A mustard seed that grew big as a tree, Luke 13.19. A woman mixing yeast into flour, Luke 13.20, and so on. It seemed to be his recurring theme. Even at the last, in his defense before Pilate, he would maintain... My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. That kingdom theme runs right through. So when we pick it up in today's passage, what do you suppose Jesus' priority is going to be? Acts 1.3 After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. There it is again. He's back from the dead. And what's his theme? Sharing about how disappointed he was. The disciples betrayed him, 
Peter denied him, Judas betrayed him. Uh, explaining exactly what happened during those hours he was on trial before the high priest, King Herod, and then the governor Pontius Pilate. Outlining what he experienced in the grave or what it felt like to be given a resurrection body? No, none of these things. Jesus' theme is the same as before, namely God's kingdom. His tune hasn't changed. Is that our tune? How is get ready for the kingdom different from a common attractional refrain of come to church? Note the disciples pick up on the word but give it a wrong emphasis. They bring their cultural baggage to the word kingdom. The Jewish nation, oppressed by their Roman overlords, chafed under Caesar's taxes and the intrusion of Roman customs and emblems. So the disciples assume this is part of Jesus' agenda. Acts 1.6 So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That would be along the lines of a military coup, replacing one ruling power for another within a defined geographical limit. But Jesus rejected their preconceived ideas of what God's kingdom would look like. It's not just something that benefits the Jewish nation or gives them preeminence. In fact, it's not about territory or taxes or who's top of the heap at all. Exception, the kingdom's power. At one point during his earthly ministry, Jesus was asked by religious experts a question very similar to what the disciples asked before he ascended. His response was very intriguing. Luke 17, 20 and 21. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Not so much external to be seen, though Jesus goes on to tell his disciples about the coming of the Son of Man and the day he is to be revealed. The kingdom becomes present or realized in the person of the king. Also back in Luke 11:20, he expressed it this way again to his critics. He said, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So the kingdom seems to be more about the person and power of God impacting a situation. Back to Acts 1. As Jesus is preparing to ascend to heaven, he wants to prepare his followers for the next step. It's not about returning governmental power and authority back to the Jewish people. Acts 1.4 On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Hear that? Wait. Don't make another move until you receive this baptism, this dunking, this overflowing fountain called the Holy Spirit. It's about having an internal surplus through a divine relationship. As Jesus had expressed it back in John 7:37 at the climax of a Jewish festival, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Streams of living water will flow from within him. That's why I was wearing this shirt daughter gave me for my birthday. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's a gift from the Heavenly Father. Not an external concrete thing like water is John baptized with, but spiritual. 
Even John the Baptist had prophesied about Jesus from way back even before Jesus' ministry began, Matthew 3.11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus is saying that phenomenon is about to happen. Further, in Acts 1.8, he continues, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Power, energy, ability. The word in the Greek is like the root for our word dynamite. Yield your faulty notions of gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This is more like Aslan, the untamed lion of Narnia. Do you really want his power in your life? Or would you settle for a nice, cushy, once-a-week church experience with quiet hymns that lull your soul? It's power for a purpose. One evening this past week, I mulched some branches for Patty to use in her flower garden. Her John Deere 1025R tractor has some power. It converts diesel fuel into energy. But it's no use until you hitch the chipper onto the three-point hitch and attach the PTO, power takeoff, shaft. Then it can mulch branches up to about four inches in diameter. It's impressive. Just put a long branch in the hopper, stand back, and watch it transform in seconds into a pile of harmless mulch. But the tractor would just sit there and spin its shaft unless some implement were connected. As Jesus describes it, what's the purpose this Holy Spirit power is to be put to? How's the second half of verse 8 read? Acts 1.8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Being his witnesses. As we've experienced his grace and mercy and forgiveness and love, tell others. Compare this with the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Where Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. If the Holy Spirit is the tractor, the power supply, what's the mulcher hooked up by the PTO shaft? Making disciples, being witnesses, influencing other lives for the kingdom. So there is a territorial sense, but not like the British Empire being marked pink in so many countries of the world wall maps when we were growing up. This kingdom advances one person at a time, two feet at a time, talking not distance, but what's in that next pair of shoes. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth slowly expanding circles as Luke, the author of Acts, portrays the message extending in the rest of his book through Peter and Philip and Paul, gradually further and further around the Mediterranean and down into Ethiopia, away from the origin. I don't know if Canada would be included in the ends of the earth, but who's standing next to you? As you love your neighbor, as you love yourself, what unmet needs do you see? What part might the gospel play? How does this person you've bumped into and begun a relationship with need Jesus in their life? What are they missing in terms of the overflow and meaning and purpose he can give? Exception, the kingdom's promise. 
So we talked about the kingdom's priority, the kingdom's power, and now finally, the kingdom's promise. As Jesus is discussing this with his followers, it's about 10 days before Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would appear to descend visibly like tongues of fire and give them new utterance. Jesus urges them not to make a move until they re received it. Acts 1.4, he says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. The Spirit is what God has promised for those who believe in his Son. A new birth, a, a new connection with the Godhead, a counselor, helper, comforter to be with us and in us all our life long, dispensing God's fruit and gifts in our lives, transforming us to be more like Jesus. 1 John 3, 2 promises, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's exciting. We can have the Holy Spirit now, but he'll keep sanctifying us to be like Jesus then. Besides that, we also have God's promise that Jesus will return in person. What did the two angelic figures dressed in white say when they interrupted Jesus' followers, gazing into the sky after the Shekinah glory cloud received and hid him? Acts 1.11 Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. As much as to say, get on with it, he's coming back. The Bible contains various promises about Christ's second coming, his parousia, or appearing. It seems to be repeated so we can have extra assurance from various prophets and apostles. Over five centuries before Jesus was born, Daniel 7.13 In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Matthew 24.30 Jesus said, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And the Apostle Paul reassured the early church, writing to those in Thessalonica, uh, verses, chapter 4, verses 14 and 16. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll be with the Lord forever. What a promise. Paul notes that we have this according to the Lord's own word, verse 15. However bad things may get here, whatever pandemics and pollution and political turmoils arise, we have God's promise of the return of the Son of Man that gives us hope. Last section. She fell into her arms. The Holy Spirit, like that PTO shaft, connects us to Almighty God, who's been longing for fellowship with us like that Father in Jesus' parable, waiting for the prodigal son to return. To receive the Holy Spirit is kind of a coming home experience. Jesus describes that closeness in John 14, 23. Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
Tammy Harris lived in Roanoke, Virginia. When Tammy turned 21, she started searching for her biological mother. After a year, she had not succeeded. What she didn't know was that her mother, Joyce Schultz, had been trying to locate her for 20 years. There's one more thing Tammy didn't know. Her mother was one of her co-workers at the convenience store where she worked. One day, Joyce, the mother, overheard Tammy, the daughter, talking with another co-worker about trying to find her mother. Soon they were comparing birth certificates. When Tammy realized that the co-worker she had known was, in fact, her mother, she fell into her arms. We held on for the longest time, Tammy said. It was the best day of my life. The Holy Spirit is what the Father has promised for those who love his Son. This heavenly helper gives us a sense of true connection with God that we can fall into the arms of Jesus. That's how the kingdom begins to be a reality in our lives. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your instructions, giving us direction, adjusting our priorities to wait and depend on your presence. Replenish us in your Holy Spirit. Get us in tune with the Father's will, keeping in step with his authority. Show us how to be your witnesses every day in the midst of a hurting and hungry world until the day you come to take us home. In Jesus' name, amen.